0: humanities and social
1: sciences welcome to another episode of oh the humanities and the social sciences the hashtag hashtag podcast in this episode i speak to Anne gripton about the question of if we can use the past to inform the present and the future i'm joined by ann gripton um welcome uh hi marco Good to be here. Thank you for giving up your time to talk uh, on the podcast.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: Um, so, if you start with, with, a, with an introduction about yourself, uh, you know, your role in education, your role in HASS.
0: Um, okay, so I've been teaching for around 25 years now. Um, I've been at government schools, private schools, Catholic schools, so um, I have no preference one way or the other. Um, I've been teaching history since the start and a little bit of geography, but that's a long time ago now. I've been a head of history. I work for, well, I'm part of the History Teachers Association of New South Wales. Um, yeah, and I just, you know, I love history.
1: <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Having a, having a passion for it's amazing. I I'm, would I'm, think to say that your, um, your time teaching geography is now history. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, it's, sorry, um, that,
1: was, that was that was horrible. <laughs>
0: it's okay. Um, the thing is that I I actually do teach a lot of geography within the context of history because I really believe that you can't understand a people without examining their physical space. Um, and so, you know, I do spend quite a bit of time looking at the impact of the natural world on the development of societies and the impact that it has.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, that, that's um. A lot of people don't, um, I think, don't realise that that geography um, sort of and, and history can be intertwined like that. When you look at ancient civilisations and why they rise, why they fall, why they choose specific locations to, you know, to, to, to start these cities.
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it, it does go back to that sort of nineteen sort of eighties approach to to. Um, History, I guess, when it was about you know the river systems and the the river civilizations of the Tigris, Euphrates, and the Nile and the Yangtze and and all, the, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that sort of stayed with me because that's how I first started learning about history, and it it kind of just made sense. But yeah, it was. And, and so I don't think you can really separate the two because just as you know, if you look at Bruges, for example, um, which is this town in Belgium or in the Netherlands, it's like how how the Dutch have interacted with that space has affected its economy, its society. And so I think you really need to, to link those two so closely together to get a better
1: understanding. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff, a lot of that... Um Stuff you can you can get a lot of trivia facts and a lot of you know a lot of facts that the kids sort of they they love to hear about all these weird <laughs> and wonderful <laughs> oh, links yeah. between geography and history and you know even just recently on um there was a big thing about the Ghan um, oh yeah yeah and, and the kids don't the, the students don't realise it when you know why is it named the Ghan well who opened up you know the 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 Central Australian Desert well yeah, yeah. Afghani camel camel drivers you know. Yeah. Um no. so when people start saying, Oh, you know, the, this whole idea of Australia's the bush and Australia's the outback and the desert, well who opened it up in the first place, you know? Yeah,
0: that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm up to watching a sixteen hour like documentary on it though. <laughs> I, I just no, don't no, know. I don't
1: think I can no. <laughs> you can just sit <laughs> a you can just sit on a train in Sydney for sixteen hours and um and have the same <laughs> effect, I think.
0: <laughs> Maybe and not. That's just <laughs> going from
1: one stop to another.
0: Yeah, maybe not with the same scenery, but yeah. yeah. It's a great idea, but I just don't know if it's for me.
1: Um all right. So well let's um let's um have a look at the um at our topic for the day, which is uh, using, you know, historical education. So using the past to inform the present and the future. Mm.
0: And I think I while I absolutely agree, I think particularly, you know, and a lot's been written about this in the last year with the rise of fake news, I think that the skills that history can offer, um, definitely will serve students well in deconstructing the world around them and, and being able to manage it better. I think we have to be careful about not falling into that trap of thinking that we can use the past to inform the present and the future because, you know, as as the opening line from the book, The Go-Between, says, you know, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. And so I think we have to be careful about drawing parallels where perhaps there are none.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that that's um, that's hundred percent accurate. I mean, there, there's obviously that that um, like you say they do things differently. That social that socio um, cultural um, uh, period of time, regardless of which period of time you are looking at, is obviously going to be so much more different. Uh, to what we have today.
0: Mm. I mean, there, there. I think for sure there are echoes of the past, and I know other people have made mention of, you know, Trump and the rise of Hitler and even looking back to ancient Rome with um, Pompey the Great and, and all sorts of things, you know. But I, while I think they are, they are echoes, they are not parallels, and, and no two things can happen the same way because you'll never get the same set of circumstances um, happening again and again. And so that's why I think history is important, so that we don't make these false assumptions. That we, we do use those skills in you know looking at the sources, looking at the evidence, and being very careful about letting that inform us about where we go to from here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, so so you mentioned that you can't fall into that false assumption of you know everything that's happened before. I'm so I'm, a, I'm a massive Battlestar Galactica fan, <laughs> and um, one of the one of the um, one of the one of the things that one of the quotes that comes up is all this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, a, cyclical, a cyclical nature of uh, a cyclical nature of history. Um, and you, you did mention, you know, there, there are people that draw these parallels between Hitler and Trump, and um, and while they're not, you know, they're, they're not one hundred percent. I wouldn't say not one hundred percent accurate, but they're not. You know, it, just because it's happened before, it doesn't mean it will happen again in that exact way. No,
0: and that's why I think that you know. Uh, it, I prefer the term like echoes of the past because I think it, we do get these, you know, similar circumstances, but they are slightly distorted each time and they do come reverberating back, you know, and the thing is, is that this, you know, what's happening at the moment with this anti-globalisation push, you know, with Brexit and so forth, this is nothing new. Like you go back to the 13th century and there were race rights in Britain against the Flemish Um, you know, trying to kick them out because of the economic impact, the social impact that it was perceived that they were having. So, you know, we need to understand that, you know, I think it's true that, you know, this has happened before, but it happened before in a slightly different way and had slightly different causes and slightly different impacts. But, yeah, so, but it is true. There are, you know, because my ancient history teacher, who was this 90,000-year-old nun, she used to say there's nothing new under the sun. And you know, but then she would say, "All the world fears time, but time fears the pyramids." And I think we can kind of get sucked into those snappy little sayings and accept them without critically thinking about them.
1: Okay. Now, I, I, I like that you mentioned the idea of, of thinking critically about them. Um, how would you how would you go about in a um, let's talk a, a practical teaching strategy, if we can? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either between um, primary school or secondary. Um, but how would you go about that idea of getting students to think critically about about the past and looking at it in a different lens, I'd guess, mm. um, to, you know, to avoid that whole idea of, okay, yes, you know, there were issues in, you know, let's say, for example, Nazi Germany and the rise of that, I guess, populism in terms of getting mm. all these people on board and, um, and and what we see today with Trump, how would you go about, um, you know, teaching that critical thinking skill that they really need to be able to to not sort of fall into that false trap of oh it's exa- it's just the same, mm. it's just a different person.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good question because um, it it all goes back to um, because I know I, you know I know that the Harvard um visible thinking and and all that sort of stuff is very big right now in thinking routines, but I've got you know, my my basic thinking routines, which is who, what, when, where, why and how, um, keeping it simple and essentially going back to why and the idea of who profits. So getting the students to look at a source and think who benefits from this source um, and, you know, getting them to be sceptical about the motives behind the construction of a source, the interpretation of a source. Why would they do that? Why are they saying that? You know, why would they create this source in this particular way? What's in it for them? And get them thinking about that. And once you do that, then the students can, um, you know, start to understand. So even looking at, um, you know, this is, I don't know if you remember, I think it was last year, yeah, it was last year when Buckingham Palace announced that they were going to make an announcement about Prince Philip. And,
1: yes, I do, I do remember that. Yeah. And the
0: world went mental and Twitter went off and people were saying, you know, five minutes ago I didn't care about Prince Philip, now my life, you know, absolutely hangs on this announcement. And mm. so the next day in History Extension, you know, went into school and then it came out that he was just re- withdrawing from duties or something. And so we went into into History Extension and I showed them some of the tweets that had been you know, put out and, um, you know, and I said, in that instance, who's profiting? Like the palace could have said said that they'll make an announcement about Prince Philip, you know, hours and hours and hours ago and then they delayed it. Why did they do that? You know, and, and who owns the history in this instance? Was it the palace owning the history or was it Twitter owning the history? And so it, it was just an, a nice opportunity you know, try, you know, particularly with history, um, trying to connect it to what's happening in the present and then sort of showing, you know, those echoes, you know, from what, from incidents in the past, I think is enormously powerful for students because they, that's when they start to see that history isn't about dead white guys. It's about, you know, living, breathing people today and what we can do about that. So, yeah, I think connecting it to the past, um, to the present, and then, yeah, really hammering home the idea of why, like what's in it for them.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Um, uh, look, one of the things that i like to do, um, I haven't taught history for, for many, many years. And even then, it was only junior history in year seven. But
0: that is um, where, however, oh, don't ever say it's only junior history. That is the foundation of history. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love teaching junior years because that's where you really plant the seeds and, and ignite those yep. sparks. Yeah.
1: Um, but okay, well, even though I haven't taught it for for a while, uh, much like you said, you you integrate geography with with history. I, I do integrate history with a lot of other uh, a lot of the other the subjects that I teach. So, for for um, instance, studies of religion, which mm. is um, which is, is an academic subject Absolutely. in itself, yes. um, and a lot of that does rely on the historical uh, background, the socio economic, the socio cultural um, background of certain nations when, when religions form. Very much so. Um, yep. you do look at that, that whole idea of, and, and what I like to do is the whole, what if, Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if everyone, everyone was slightly richer at this point in time, or what if they didn't just have a war a little bit earlier, or what if this person was born, you know, one country over instead of where they were at the moment mm. in terms of the political, uh, you know, the political situation right now. Um, and that, in itself is, is is an amazing critical thinking tool. Mm. Um, the whole what if, looking at, uh, I guess, an alternate, and again, I'm, I'm a bit of a sci-fi person, so the whole <laughs> alternate timeline. What would happen if everything sort of changed a little bit, you know, th- this person was born somewhere else instead?
0: That's um, going back to Ted Mark's multiverse theory. Um, but <laughs> um, it's the idea, that, I guess, because I do the similar the similar things, but I um, there's a very famous historian, Richard Evans. Um, he was part of the David Irving trial um, for Penguin Books, you know, for the Holocaust denial. And he's a, a very harsh critic of the what if. Um, he says that basically it's it's making history a game. Um, but being rather shocking, I'm going to disagree because I think you're right. It really tests their knowledge and understanding of a of a world or of a place or of a society by getting them to contemplate and really you know delve into those things because that demands critical thinking really actually knowing and understanding what happened and then being able to apply that to a different scenario and I think you're right it's and the students love it because it's it's allowing them to be creative but at the same time they've got to back up their answers with evidence
1: Exactly exactly it's an extremely high order skill mm. to have being able to then back it up with evidence and not just say oh I think this. Yeah. But why what makes you think that? Why what makes you say that? Why? You need to be able to defend your defend your point of view.
0: It was interesting because last year or oh, the year before um one of the British newspapers um, put out a question would they kill you know would you kill baby Hitler? And the majority of people actually still came back with well no it wouldn't, it's it's wrong and so forth. And taking that into the classroom, you know, the students go, oh, but that's stupid, he caused this, he did that, he's a bad man. And then once we actually start exploring it, because Hitler is such a polarizing figure. Um and I think yeah. with what's been happening in the news and the that right wing guy, who I don't really want to name, um, you know, it's that idea of, you know, actually testing those those ideas very, very carefully. And so, yeah, I think I think you're right. The what if and the why's, and and so I think though we need to be careful and and sort of say that that's it, almost like the end of the process um, to an extent. Or you can use it as a, a stimulus question to start a unit, but it's very dangerous just to launch in halfway through and say why. Then when the students don't have that good understanding. Of what is around, or what the content is, or what you're working towards, because otherwise they can just make these assumptions that are left hanging, and and there's nothing there to support
1: them. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much for that. No worries. Um, and before we finish off, uh, Anne, is there any any final words you want to mention about uh, history education or or the um or the relevance or the the power of it? I
0: think yeah, I I think I would. I think we have to understand that the role of the history teacher has changed. Um, you know even five, 10 years ago, we were, you know, the gatekeepers of knowledge. We controlled what knowledge the students had access to. We decided in what way they accessed them. And now we, you know, knowledge is almost secondary to being able to understand the knowledge, analyze the knowledge, use the knowledge, create new knowledge. And so it's really shifted from being, these, being a content provider to being a knowledge manager, in a sense, and getting the students to really develop a true sense of what they can learn about the world and the best ways to go about doing that. And I think, yeah, some, some teachers are still struggling with that and I think the syllabuses that we deal with um, really struggle with that. They are still so content heavy that they don't allow much opportunity to explore things meaningfully. But I think really, you know, the future is quite exciting when we think about how we can approach history teaching
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for um, giving up your time and joining us, Anne.
0: Oh, no, thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk history.
1: Thank you. Hopefully we can talk to you again at some stage through the uh, through the podcast about history. Yeah,
0: great. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Bye. See you, Marco. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HasChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. on.net.au